3: Hello, I'm Michael Barr. And I'm Scott Soschnick. On this weekly podcast, we explore the big money issues in the world of sports and talk to some of the biggest players in the industry.
4: Joining us on this week's show is L.A. Clippers president of business operations, Gillian Zucker. But first, let's look at the top stories of the week. Joining us is Bloomberg business of sports reporter, Evan Novi williams And let's start with the NCAA and a whole lot of money going on, folks.
3: If we're starting NCAA, we're starting with Edmund Novi williams That's his bread butter. Go ahead, buddy.
5: Uh, the NCAA released some audited documents this week. For the first time ever, the organization, a nonprofit, by the way, is up over $1 billion in annual revenue. As we've talked about, most of that money comes from the Turner-CBS deal to air uh, March Madness, the tournament. Uh, but money is flowing in, continues to flow in, despite a lot of pressures on the NCAA business model. Should players be paid? Is there an antitrust concern? Uh, Is is there too much of a gap between the haves and the have-nots? There's a lot of pressure on the NCAA right now, but the money and the green is still good.
3: Really hard for them to say there's no money to pay players. And the biggest expense, they'll say, is the distribution to schools, its members, for scholarships. But it's not like that takes a spot away from somebody else. They can take somebody else in the university. They don't have to cut a check to the player for that amount. They just let them attend without charge. So... If you're looking at conference commissioners and coaches and weight uh, weight coaches being paid five hundred thousand millions and millions, it's getting harder and harder, let's say, for the NCAA to say players don't deserve at least a cut.
5: And important to note that this doesn't even include any football money. You know, the NCAA does not own the college football It's a good playoff. thing there's not too much of that. So so all the all the, the money that the conferences are swimming in deals from Fox and from ESPN to air their football games, to air the college football playoff, et cetera. That isn't even counted in this. So there is a lot of money swirling around here. The operating profit for the NCAA last year, over $100 million. Uh, so they are in the green as well.
4: Speaking of the NCAA, my fun story of the week and my retirement plan, all you need to do if you are a Warren Buffett employee at Berkshire Hathaway, is just pick the sweet 16 in the bracket, and you can get a million dollars a year for life. It's just that easy. Let's pick all 16. Pick all 16 teams. Because it used to be
3: Warren picked the champion, or the perfect bracket, right? It was a perfect bracket, right, right. which you have much better odds of actually winning the mega millions or the lotto. <laughs> I mean, this guy's in the insurance business. He,
4: he knows that nobody's going to do this. Let's talk now about the ultimate fighting TV rights. And I guess they are begging in a test for a super agent.
3: Well, Ari Emanuel at uh, William Morris Endeavor and IMG, he bought UFC for four point something billion dollars not long ago, banking on the fact that he could flip these media rights, knowing that they were coming up pretty soon. Now, Fox is the incumbent. And their offer is about what? I mean, where are we? Two hundred million dollars a year? Yeah, I believe the the prospective amount was four hundred million. That's a pretty big gap bar. So we're gonna get a nice litmus test right here. Not only the value of UFC, because is there another Conor McGregor? Is there a Ronda Rousey? Where are the stars? But in general, what are people willing to pay for these live events and sports? content. What's it worth?
5: Also, according to the Sporting News, Fox is very interested in WWE, which is obviously not the same exact kind of sport as UFC. uh, But as UFC looks to Fox as kind of the the most likely landing spot for UFC, Fox is clearly looking at other properties that they're willing to open the bank on as well.
4: But one problem is that from what I'm understanding, at least for UFC, no one has really stepped up yet to pay for the rights of what is it? They want $400 million a year?
3: Well, yeah, that's that's the problem. We're going to see how, of course, more bidders are very basic math here. More bidders means more money. How many people are interested and at what price? Can Ari Emanuel spin his magic and pull some kind of massive number out of a hat?
4: Next subject to talk about, Peyton Manning, is parting ways with Papa John's. Oh, that's a heartbreak.
3: Say it ain't so. I think, he,
5: I think he's staying on as a, as a spokesman. He's parting ways from the, the business relationship he had. I think they, they co-owned 30, the stakes, 31 right. franchises that, they, that they've that they sold. Conveniently comes right uh, in the same week or two as the NFL and Papa John's kind of severed their national sponsorship relationship. Uh, interesting timing here as Peyton Manning also is negotiating with, with the uh, networks uh, to get a hefty, hefty... Check to, to do some uh, announcing on Sundays,
3: or Thursday night one one of the night footballs. Yeah, they're willing to pay Peyton ten million. He is uh, still like one of the faces of the NFL, even though he doesn't play anymore. The question is, do you believe in that interesting timing, Evan? Did he yeah. know that <laughs> yeah. this? This relationship between Papa John's and the NFL was going to cease to exist. Nobody said anything to Peyton Manning?
5: I believe Papa John has said that this is just totally coincidental, that that the two things are totally unrelated.
3: Those talks had started long before the NFL and Papa John's had decided yeah, to part with. Yeah, and it
5: doesn't take a, a, a future seer to, to to see that the, the relationship between the NCAA and Papa John's was strained months and months and months ago when, when, when the NCAA? papa or the nfl sorry uh we'll and strain that ago, too <laughs> when, when papa john blamed uh roger goodell's handling of the of the of the kneeling crisis on his declining sales uh so peyton manning could have read the, the pepperoni was
4: on the wall well. yeah <laughs> oh man <Dang. laughs> hey you didn't see that coming did you uh no i didn't <laughs> evan went tea leaves that's not that's not germane well thank you again For all of the banter, and by the way, Scott and Evan, you guys are going to talk with with the L.A. Clippers president of business operations, Gillian Zucker.
3: You're darn right, Michael. Capable hands here, Evan and I. And joining us is Gillian Zucker, the president of business operations for the L.A. Clippers. Comes from a motorsports background, but from a couple of years ago, she joined the Clippers on behalf of Steve Ballmer, the owner of the team. Gillian, thank you very much for joining us. It's my pleasure. So let's start with your new agreement with Bumble. I had spoken with Bumble founder Whitney Wolf Hurd, and she said, without you, this doesn't get done. Walk me through, if you would, the process of the Clippers settling on a deal with Bumble.
6: Well, it definitely had to do with more than just me, but I think you know they have an incredible brand, and what they've done there is really carve out a niche for themselves in women making the first move in all of their connections, whether it be dating or business connections or just making friends. And so while they were attracted to the power of the NBA and everything that the NBA brings to the table in terms of its uh, diversity and inclusion, specifically gender diversity, I think they were looking for a team that really represents. That and uh, it certainly helped that at the Clippers uh, that I'm here in this role, but uh, I'm also joined by more than 40 women who work for the organization and in a lot of very key roles.
3: And it's about more than just, as she said, it's this is not just an advertisement. She wants this to be sort of a movement. She wants this to be whether it's youth empowerment, uh, some some sort of panels. She wants more than just a commercial for her company.
6: Yes, it was very clear that there needed to be action behind what we were doing. And um, while we you know, strategically positioned this as, as not a patch on a jersey, but a badge of empowerment that's there to remind people that uh, diversity, and specifically gender diversity, m- makes us stronger. It makes organizations stronger. It makes life richer. And we have a lot of activations that will occur over the course of the next three years that are going to bring that to
3: life. On Wall Street, it's, it's pretty much proven that female investors do better. Uh, however, if you're out there in VC worlds, so few females actually get the money uh, that are out there trying to raise for their ideas. Why are we still here?
6: I think we are making progress. Um, I've been involved over the course of the past few years with uh, 2020 Women on Boards with this goal of having 20% board representation by females um, on boards by the year 2020. And I think that once you are in a position where, uh, as a woman, you have the ability to be able to impact decision-making and bringing other people on boards, so that you just, you you tend to have different circles and different networking circles and different connections that enable you to find people who are hugely qualified to be able to diversify these roles and, and these opportunities.
5: Gillian, we don't have the numbers in front of us, but I'm pretty comfortable saying that the Clippers are one of the best, if not the best, in terms of, of hiring women into into management and leadership positions. Is there a business advantage to that? I mean, there are studies that say that consumers are willing to pay more for a company that does better in the gender pay gap or, or from an environmental standpoint. Do you find that, that, that in your conversations that potential sponsors or partners are, are taking note of that and maybe coming to you over other organizations?
6: Well, I think it was certainly attractive to Bumble, but um, I think that if you if you look at the statistics, that companies that have diverse leaderships, they perform better across the board. It's a proven fact. So it's not about being attracted to a company that takes a stand and says, we're going to have a diverse landscape in our leadership team. It's really about the results. At the end of the day, that's what everybody wants. They want relationships that are going to help grow their business and move it forward. And I think that's what makes the Clippers attractive.
5: Richard Lapchick, a professor down in Central Florida, I assume you know he does these reviews of every league every year. It's a gender report card. Uh, the NBA has a B in terms of, of gender hiring. It's the best of the major leagues. The NFL, Major League Baseball, and MLS are all in the C range. Uh, do you think the NBA can do better? What can the NBA do as a whole, as a league, uh, to get that up to an A?
6: Well of course I mean until until there's an a uh, I think that the NBA will continue to work harder in that space. I mean, the league has proven they want to uh, be front runners in every category that exists, and certainly that's something that Steve Ballmer uh, here at the Clippers embraces as well as all of our team here. Um, but I think a lot of it just has to do with, uh, you know, attracting the talent to the league itself. And by having so many females in high-ranking positions, it, it lets other women see that those opportunities exist, that they're available, and it's something that, you know, they may want to go for. And
5: And how much of that do you think is a product of good leadership, Adam at the central office, etc.? And how much of it is a fact that basketball is, is, is of the the major sports, one that women play certainly the most uh, at the youth and at a professional level, uh, that you're not going to have too many women in NFL positions that played tackle football. But but in terms of basketball, you can have a lot of people that went all the way through the rankings, high school, college, professional, uh, within basketball itself.
6: I think it helps um, that there are women who play basketball and are deeply entrenched in the sport, but it's not a requirement. I didn't play basketball. Um, So I don't know that that's something that necessarily is the criteria. It does take leadership like Adam Silver to be able to say this is important and this is something we're going to focus on.
3: All right, we're chatting with Gillian Zucker, the president of business operations for the L.A. Clippers. Let me switch to those Clippers, Gillian. Where do you fit in? In the L.A. sports scene, the Dodgers are resurgent. You have two NFL teams after a long blackout of NFL football. Where do the Clippers slot in in terms of interest, demand, all those things that you're responsible for drumming up?
6: I think we're uh, the unpredictable force. You know, everybody is sort of watching. We have this incredibly dynamic owner who's doing unbelievable things in the community. We have an environment in our arena that's spectacularly entertaining for everyone. Uh, And we offer something that I think is, in a lot of ways, different and dynamic. Um, At the same time, being fiercely, fiercely committed to the competition on the court and, and winning and not just winning one championship, but you know, our goal is, is to create a dynasty for the Clippers in Los Angeles. And I think that that kind of dedication and focus on taking this team and, and seeing the outcomes that we know are possible is something that fans are really embracing and they're enjoying. Uh, being a part of and seeing this meteorical g- growth as it's transpiring right in front of them.
3: I thought there was a real opportunity there for the Clippers. The Lakers were down. There was this lob city, cool young. But Chris Paul's not there anymore. Blake Griffin's not there anymore. What are the discussions between basketball and business? Are, are you at all involved when the most marketable assets you have, your best players, might be going elsewhere?
6: Uh, you know, the basketball side and Steve are going to make the decisions that they believe are in the best interest of the long-term success of the team, and my job, regardless, is to push out there a great product that fans will enjoy. And, you know, it's funny, people talk about that storyline, and Steve often says that as an owner, he was born on third base with the talent that he inherited with uh, the, that incredible big three. And, and it was an opportunity. At the same time, uh, you know, that sort of storybook, really, it looks easy, and uh, Steve has never been one to take the easy path. He does hard things, and he does them really well. And uh, I think that for where we are now, there's a real excitement and an energy around what's coming next.
5: Did you notice a difference in the marketplace when when, when the two NFL teams came? MLS has probably its most expensive stadium opening up in the city. Uh, This year, USC is renovating. Uh, Obviously, there's a lot more competing for ticket money, for for sponsorship dollars, etc., in the city than there was even two or three years ago.
6: Los Angeles has always been crowded and complicated in terms of how much competition there is and it's not just sports teams it's it's movies it's theater it's the beach it's the sunshine it's so many things um and the, and the city is changing dramatically i mean there's this really vibrant food scene there's a really vibrant art scene that didn't exist just a few years ago so there is a ton of competition not just for the entertainment dollar but for people's time and so you know our challenge is to make sure that when they have all of those choices that they still choose us. And we feel that we're in a good spot to compete.
3: The local television ratings would tell me that interest in the Clippers is waning. What metrics do you have that show me that that's not the case?
6: Well, I think you can experience it if you just come into the arena and you see the energy that exists there. I mean, certainly that's a big piece of it. And in terms of our expanding fan base, the number of people who touch the team, either through our social or digital channels or who have interaction with us in some way through our Junior Clippers programs or one of our many other programs that we have in the community. So while television ratings are certainly important and they're something that we would do want to continue to work on, you know, that's not the end-all, be-all anymore to where people are investing and what they care about. That's not the only measurement that exists.
3: How do you measure? that? There's that, I guess NBC came out with its total audience measurement. They want to look at digital. They want to look at social. How do you figure out who your fans are, where they come from, how they get there? How do you figure all that out?
6: You know, a lot of it now falls down to brand studies and social listening tools where you can really find out what people are saying from both a positive and a negative way, how people feel about your brand, how they're interacting with it, what they wish they would, you would do, uh, where hope exists. And, you know, finding that has been something that we're spending a lot of time on. We have a lot of partners that are out there from agencies to advisors that we've been working with that are helping us really to track down and understand exactly how people are feeling about this team at this moment in time. And that'll change. It'll be different six months from now than it is today.
5: Can you give us an example of something you learned about, about the Clippers fan base uh, across the country or in L.A. That, that you didn't realize until you dove into the, the data and the social media?
6: Um, yeah, you know, I mean, one of the words that just keeps coming up again and again is that the Clippers are audacious. And that's not a word that I would have chosen to necessarily describe the team, but it's something that... They, they're really liking. It's this idea of this team that just has this resilience that, that really is quite remarkable. And given all the challenges that we've had this year with injuries, they just keep coming back and playing hard. And it's really about this team spirit and working together with this high intensity and having fun doing it. Um, and that's a spirit, I think, that people enjoy and can embrace.
5: So are we going to see Audacious on some t-shirts at some point soon? <laughs>
6: Probably not. I think you don't want to be that direct, but it's You of can't even you
3: spell to... audacious, Evan.
6: Right,
5: exactly. An a. You got that.
3: <laughs>
6: <No>. <laughs> one of the other words that came up is we're plucky. I'm not going to use that one either.
3: <laughs> Pl- plucky to me it means upstart, underdog. You're not. A, you're not. You're none of those things. You're the, but some let, some let me take it macro. Again, if I take it. Oh, if I can take it to a macro level. Where is the NBA in the pantheon of global sport? Now, at a time when we're looking at scalable media because media is now the number one revenue source in leagues passing ticketing and in-arena, but I'm talking selling highlight clips. I'm talking being cool on Instagram and hip, reaching the future consumers that let's just say maybe ESPN is trying to get right now. Seems the NBA has it figured out.
6: They do. The NBA really has this space nailed. And the, the focus that they have on innovation says that although we are doing this very, very well right now as a league, that's not good enough. We're going to continue to challenge ourselves to remain in this space as front runners. And it's exciting, you know, the way that the digital landscape is changing so rapidly, you have to constantly be thinking about what's next. And I think that's what this league is great at.
3: Well, speaking of what's next when we look at an individual player sort of view, and you ready for this? Like we had trouble with the audacious spelling, but I'm going to say this. Jonas Antetokounmpo. I mean, oh. how important is it that. to have yeah, I was. How important is it to have stars? This was and has been built upon as a star-driven league. Is it enough to be good, you know, a good team without that breakout star, that one guy who sells the jerseys, who has the sizzle? Is is that okay in the NBA?
6: I think this is a star-driven league, uh, and I know this is a star-driven town. So that's something that is absolutely critically important. Um, what we don't know is who's that next star, and that's what everybody's always looking at and excited about. It's not necessarily only the stars that exist today, because, you know, if you go back 15 years, LeBron wasn't LeBron. So... You know, I think that there's a real opportunity for us given where we are, uh, how much cap space we have, where we are with, you know, free agency and room to be able to attract really strong players to a market that's fantastic, to uh, a leadership team and an ownership that's really strong. Uh, we're really in a great spot to be able to compete in a star-driven league.
5: We had Richard Sherman, the football player, on our podcast last week, um, and one of the things he said uh, was that he thinks the NFL can learn a lot from the NBA uh, in terms of the way it markets its stars, the way it handles its media, the way it, it works on social, et cetera. Uh, obviously, no no secret that the NFL is the, is the top banana in terms of sports leagues and business across the country. Is there an opportunity here for the NBA to maybe claw into some of that market share at a faster rate given the, the poor NFL ratings and, and con- concerns over health, et cetera?
6: Well, that's certainly the goal, but I think the best way to get to that goal is to really recognize that that we, too, have a lot to learn from the NFL, and that they're the top dog for a reason. There's a lot of things that they're doing that they do extremely well, and when you acknowledge those things and know that you've got a unique opportunity to be able to learn from those things and, and maybe bring some of the things that are successful in the NFL and to our league and as well as in baseball or major league soccer or NASCAR or any of the other sports for that matter, you know, that, that is, I think, where the NBA really has its strength is this idea that we strive every day to be better. And we're going to learn from everyone around us.
3: Well, you came from the auto racing world. You came from NASCAR. How does that prepare you for a jump to basketball?
6: I think very well, you know, the, the extraordinary thing about NASCAR is just how big those events are. It's really like running a small city. And when you have that experience of uh, the operational experience of everything that goes into putting on one of these major race weekends, it gives you a lot of depth and breadth of of uh, experience that you wouldn't get anywhere else, and, and certainly I don't have that opportunity here with the Clippers where, you know, AEG runs the facility. So, there's There are definitely skill sets that I have that I'm not utilizing today. Um, the other thing I think that NASCAR does extraordinarily well is uh, from a marketing standpoint and and bringing their athletes into that marketing message where you see that these drivers they they came up selling their own sponsorships so that they could race uh, you know on their in their Friday night series and they understand the value and the importance of that and As a result, they're very, very engaged on the marketing side. So it creates a different kind of spirit, um, and it's one that I think is really a model.
0: Apple Card is the perfect cashback rewards credit card. You earn up to 3% daily cash on every purchase every day. That's 3% on your favorite products at Apple, 2% on all other Apple Card with Apple Pay purchases, and 1% on anything you buy with your titanium Apple Card or virtual card number. Visit apple.co slash card calculator to see how much you can earn. Apple Card issued by Goldman Sachs Bank USA, Salt Lake City Branch. Subject to credit approval. Terms apply. You know, it can be hard to see the challenges that people we work with every day are going through.
2: Hey, who wrote that? Skip, who do you think? It's your buddy.
1: Hi, everyone. I'm Paul Anka.
2: And I'm Skip Bronson.
3: We are chatting with Gillian Zucker, the president of business operations of the L.A. Clippers. And since you brought up AEG, you are not only a tenant at Staples, you are the third tenant at Staples. And I've heard you are treated as such. For those who do not understand what it means to be a third tenant and the implications of that, Would you please give us a glimpse into the, I wish we could do this, I'm hamstrung this way, I have ideas, I can't because I'm, can you give me a little little insight into the frustration and the reality of being a third tenant?
6: Yeah, I mean, in fairness to AEG, it's, it's a function of uh, operations. So, I mean, we actually have a lease that says that there's two other teams that are in front of us in terms of first options. But
3: that. I don't think people and, understand and, that. Like, maybe people think that, well, there's three teams and everything's just shared equally, and that's not the case. You're the right. third team. No,
6: it's definitely not the case. So as a result, I mean, this year, if you look at our schedule, I mean, we, we have, uh, I believe, it's either two or three nighttime weekend games all season long, Friday Saturday nights. So all of those games belong to either the Kings or the Lakers. And it puts our fans at a disadvantage when they don't get the opportunity to have the premier nights of the week to come watch their team. We do get a lot of Mondays. We get a lot of Sunday afternoons. And those are not the ideal times for a schedule. So, you know, in, in addition to it being difficult as – a team operator, it's something that, you know, we feel is a hardship on the fans and, and it extends further. You know, at the end of the day, when you're not operating your own building and a fan comes into the building and they have a problem, whether it be at the gate or with their ticket or with the food service or with an usher or wherever that might happen to be, it's not the team that's answering to that fan. And we work very closely with AEG to try to figure out ways to make it feel like a seamless experience, but it's really just impossible.
3: Well, since Edmund is so smart, I know he'd probably ask this, but I'll jump in anyway. So the solution to that problem is? To
6: build your own arena.
3: Ah, yes. And I think you have an owner with with the capital and the wherewithal and the desire to do such a thing. Tell us about the proposal in Inglewood where the the new stadium for the Rams and the Chargers is. MSG, not too happy you'll be so close to the forum. Where is this this idea mess of a new building in Inglewood. Where do we stand, and where do you hope to go?
6: Well, there's about 20 acres that's been identified, um, and we have an exclusive negotiating agreement with the city of Inglewood uh, to explore the due diligence and uh, and the permitting process to build an arena, and it'll be uh, directly across from where this new entertainment complex is uh, for the Rams and the Chargers. It, it's it's really extraordinary what's going on in Englewood right now. Just incredible. The amount of momentum and energy and, you know, it's shaping into what is clearly going to be uh, a landmark sports and entertainment district unlike any other probably in the world. Uh, and to be a part of that is very exciting. So uh, we are well on our way to be beginning the environmental review process and getting the community involved and in, in helping us figure out how uh, we can put together a world-class building that uh, brings uh, the kind of attention and glory to, uh, to Inglewood that, that we hope to bring in, in a short period of time.
5: Given all the advantages you just mentioned from the, the scheduling to being able to, to, to set the arena up your own way, etc., what's the revenue boost that being in your own place? gets you kind of the the percentage difference between being a third tenant at Staples and and having your own spot in Englewood that is that is owned by the team
6: it's, it's significant, but you have to remember that the investment is also significant. So, you know, we're looking at a project that will probably come in pretty near to a billion dollars to build a world-class arena uh, in today's day and age that is representative of the type of building that uh, I think fans would expect to see today in, in Los Angeles. And uh, so it's a major investment. I, the returns, you know, they will be significant, um, but... Again, it's it's not going to be an expensive project, and it's going to be one that we're going to build that will rival any building that that might be in anybody's dreams today.
5: And your lease is up at twenty twenty four season. Is that right? Is that is the goal to move in right after that, or could this happen sooner?
6: Yeah, uh, so we're prepared to fulfill our lease at Staples, and when you think about the time period that it takes to permit a project and do something with a really transparent way involving the community in the way that we intend to do, it takes time to do that as well as to uh, actually put up the facility and, and have it all ready to go. So uh, the timeline is it's pretty good. We have a little bit of extra time in there, but that's always good to have.
3: Have you discussed and disclosed the financing plan for the arena?
6: We're not. We've been working on that for several months now, and we've got a bunch of consultants that are helping us out with it. Um, You know, we have been very clear on the fact that it will be completely privately financed, so there'll be no public dollars.
3: That's probably flying in the face of what most owners would like to see. Do you just see it as L.A. right now, the taxpayers won't go for it, or is that just the way Steve has decided he'd rather finance the building?
6: Yeah, it, it, this has been Steve from the get-go. You know, He uh, has the wherewithal to do it. He doesn't believe that, that this is something that, uh, that the community wants to take on, uh, nor does he want to ask them to do it.
3: We are chatting with Gillian Zucker, the president of business operations for the LA Clippers. And Gillian, if you're not in the building, the other way to, of course, follow a team is to watch them on TV. But this is a whole different media landscape. Everybody is looking to OTT, over-the-top, direct-to-consumer, whatever the terminology. Steve is also looking at that. I'm sure you are knee-deep in it. What are the prospects for a new Clippers channel, direct-to-consumer, broadband, however you want to term it?
6: We we have been working on this for uh, the better part of, of three years, and uh, Steve's vision is really not just taking the broadcast product as it exists today and just delivering it in a different way to people so that you can watch it on your phone or on your computer. You can't do that anymore. You
3: You need to produce digitally for a smaller screen.
6: Yeah, and I think it's just this idea of what else can it do? You know, he he's a sports fan. I mean, he just loves sports. He loves watching them. He likes watching them in person and he likes watching them on TV, but he, he's very inquisitive as he's watching them. And he wants to know information about the stats or what's the likelihood that that shot's going to be made with that defender in that particular position. And so through his understanding of technology, We've been able to identify uh, a company that's able to take in- artificial intelligence and this ability to analyze the game from a computer's point of view and create overlays or augmented reality over the broadcast product. And it's pretty extraordinary. It enables you to watch the game in a different way. So people who are used to watching a game where they follow the ball, when you watch it with these overlays, all of a sudden you find that your eye is being drawn to uh, a... Uh, a- A defender who then creates an open shot and instead you're watching how the play develops. So I think when you have a product that changes the way you experience the game you've got something pretty powerful uh, and that's what we're getting ready to launch along with our partner Fox in the fall of this
5: coming season. Gillian we've reached that point in the podcast where I generally ask the esports question. Uh, The NBA as you know getting ready to launch uh, NBA uh, 2k their esports league 17 franchises involved, Uh, correct me if I'm wrong, I don't believe you guys are one of them. Uh, Tell me about what went into that decision. If if you guys looked at the property, decided it wasn't worth it, uh, why we're not seeing a Clippers involved in the first year.
6: We did look at it, and we're bullish on it. We're very excited about it, and you can expect we'll be part of it. We didn't do it in the original year because this past year uh, we stood up our G League team and uh, really wanted to invest in making sure that given that we decided we were going to create that franchise just over the summer, we had such a short runway to be able to get that up and operating. We wanted to make sure it had our full attention. That's the only reason we're not part of, uh, of the E League from the get-go, but we are excited about it, and we're close monitoring
5: what's going on. And we're also fairly close or possibly fairly close to gambling being legalized uh, across the country, The any day away from from a Supreme Court decision that could allow New Jersey and then a few other states uh, to start offering. How much of an opportunity is that for you guys from a business standpoint? I mean, it has the potential to drive eyeballs to games. It has the potential to maybe open new categories for sponsors, et cetera.
6: The league is, is really taking the lead um, in regard to uh, where, where we stand in regard to gambling. Obviously, they've been out in front. On this, And they, they feel that, you know, it's it's obviously something that's happening already. So it's not as if this is something that's new. And it's just this idea of how do we create, you know, some kind of re- regulation around it so that uh, the people who are participating in this maybe have a more fair playing field and and uh, can be engaged in a way that feels like there's some credibility behind it. So, you know, we're going to be following this closely and, and taking our lead from the league.
3: Right, Gillian, we have about thirty seconds left a little birdie named Chris Wallace tells me that you a while ago were advised to be a journalist <laughs> who who gave you that advice and why didn't you take it?
6: I went to uh, a really wonderful small liberal arts school in upstate New York called Hamilton and uh, this career counseling class that I took ultimately said that uh, that, that would be a good career for me. Um, fortunately, uh, my my career path took a little bit of a shift and that
3: I
5: didn't work out.
3: That sounded like you <laughs> impugned our profession What do you mean fortunately? That There's a perfectly wonderful living to be made on this side of the microphone. Seems
5: like things have worked out for her. <laughs> <laughs> Scott.
6: <laughs> I, I am absolutely not slamming what you do, but I think I found the perfect home for myself.
3: All right. Well, Gillian Zucker, president of business operations for the Los Angeles Clippers. Thank you very much. Thank you. Takeaways from Gillian Zucker. She's obviously putting a very happy face on things, but the local viewership is down on the Clippers. The Lakers are coming up. However, a new building, a new OTT with what sounds like some interesting bells and whistles. I could see a younger generation of fan moving over to the Clippers and saying, this is my team. I know my dad likes the Lakers. My mother likes the Lakers. I'm going to be a Clippers fan.
5: They're plucky. You heard it. (laughs) Uh, Yes, there is certainly... uh, We won't see it on a t-shirt, but they're plucky. (laughs) There is some kind of appeal here uh, that will only get stronger, I would assume, as they get into a lot of these initiatives that I'm sure Steve Ballmer saw five years ago when he bought this team. He saw the opportunity for a new building. He saw the new opportunity for a, a better way to handle their media rights that might bring in more money. You heard Gillian say it, when you control your own dates, you can make better you make better opportunities for your fans. You can be more interactive. You can learn more about them. Everything about this seems to be trending upwards. But right now you're right, especially given the competition in LA. It's going to be a tough couple of years.
4: My goal is if you don't want to be the number one pick. That's something I've been dreaming of since I was a kid. It feels better to be number one than number five. I wear the number because, because of Mike. We
5: have a chance to go for
4: three
1: in a row. Good numbers at a good time. When I first started wearing that number, I was just happy and proud. Bloomberg
3: Business of Sports, the number of the week. Well, speaking of that competition, number of the week is 100,000. Oh, a small number. A small number, but not if you're looking at a premium PSL personal seat license for your new LA Rams and the Chargers also have this as well. They're charging seventy five thousand for their top, but a hundred thousand bucks. That's a lot PSL. of money.
5: My favorite thing about this whole thing, both the Rams and the Chargers are claiming that they're gonna repay this in fifty years which uh, is, is funny when you think about how money changes. You know, I, I was reading $8,000 roughly in today's money is the $100,000 uh, in 50 years. So they're replaying this loan. It's really at very little cost uh, to, to the teams at all. Uh, I wonder if this is just kind of a PR stunt that makes it sound a little better than it actually is.
3: Well, it's all from a tax code change that enables them to do it this way. But if I'm paying it, I'd rather get something back than not and they are transferable so you can sell your PSL the demand is going to be interesting they are going to sell these suckers aren't they
5: they are yeah i mean two nfl teams a brand new stadium the most expensive in the nfl when it opens uh, inglewood is going to be a happening place if you're if you're looking to consume some live sports in in the next couple decades close
3: to lax you can land at be in the stadium in like 5 minutes so all good
5: You've been listening to Bloomberg Business of Sports. We're here each and every week at the same time exploring the world of money and sports. I'm Evan Novi williams
3: And I'm Scott Soschnick. Thanks for joining us. And please tune in next week when we speak with the biggest and brightest in the sports business industry.
5: You're listening to Bloomberg Business of Sports from Bloomberg Radio around the world and online as an Apple podcast on iTunes.
1: Hi, everyone. I'm Paul Anka.
2: And I'm Skip Bronson.